Welcome to Post Break. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post New York Alliance. This is our biweekly discussion of all the dynamic forces continuing to shape and reshape how we work today. And today's topic is Remote Workflows, New Horizons. And now I don't need to introduce the moderator because the moderator is myself. So I'm gonna get right into the panelists. Uh, we have today Andrew Bly, co-founder and CEO of Molecule VFX and PNYA board member. Diana DeCailo, post-production supervisor, most recently on The Queen's Gambit, which is Netflix's <clears throat> most popular limited scripted series ever. Really? And PNYA, yay. And PNYA board member. And again, Yana Collins-Lehman, chairman of the PNYA board and COO of Travana Post. So with the topic being remote workflows, new horizons, we hear the words remote workflows all the time. And we've done a bunch of post-break episodes on that, but they've all been on the tools of remote work, um, the different workarounds and way things, ways things are getting done. And I'm sure we'll touch on those things again. But the new horizons part is what I want to focus on today. What are the broader business implications of working this way? Are we going to continue working this way? How are companies adapting? How are individuals adapting? And are any of these things going to stick around indefinitely or post-COVID or post-vaccine? Or um, how are these bigger things, these bigger ideas going to work? And I couldn't think of anyone better to, to kick off the discussion than Andrew Bly, who has taken Molecule VFX from having a facility in Manhattan to being fully remote. And Andrew, I know you were working on that idea even pre-COVID. So can you describe your set, how your set, what your setup now is and how it's different from what it was before? Uh, yeah, I mean, first off to say that I took it, I think is a really untrue statement. I think our team worked really hard ahead of time and, um, I, you know, the company benefited from from their work and, and ideas. But like on the technical level, we were already setting up a remote platform um, just to kind of uh, have access to artists that weren't in New York City um, proper and as, as the industry had grown in New York. So when COVID came around, we just, um, you know, really leaned into that and, you know, luckily found out that, you know, what was built was super strong and had a, had a, a solid enough foundation to support the entire company. And, um, and, you know, we along the way worked with all of the, the networks and, and like T, uh, TPN auditing and just to make sure that what we were doing was, um, you know, met all of their security standards for, um, you know, all of our clients and all the, all the shows that we work on. Um, you know, and then I think pretty quickly we all found out that everyone and every company, um, you know, was very quickly able to adapt and, and technically work remotely. And, you know, and I think, you know, for us, you know, the big hurdle is then like, okay, well then how do you operate on a daily basis when you're used to being in person every day? And, um, you know, we definitely focused on that out the gate, but I would say that by June, like that was our, our full focus. And like, like, how do we, how do we lead? How do we engage with, with the team when, you know, before the hardest thing for me was, you know, I used to be able to just walk in the office and you could feel the energy in the office and the mood and the morale. And, and uh, you, you don't, you know, now I go to my office in my basement and, and it's the same energy every single day. Um, so finding ways to like really constantly check in with people, but not so much that you're disrupting them and not allowing them to work has, has been the balance that we've been trying to, to really find. And I think in the beginning, we, we over-communicated into a point where um, it probably got exhausting and people you know, weren't super productive. There wasn't a lot of work going on anyways at that point. So it, it didn't matter as much, but you know, like before we used to do um, a company call every, every single day of the week. And now we just do it on, uh, on Mondays to kick off like, okay, what are the goals of the week? And then, and early on Thursday to, to just an update on where, where we're at compared to the goals that we set for the week and what can we do with the next, you know, two full days to, to correct that path. Um, and then just, you know, finding ways, you know, communication is mainly through 
through uh, Slack um, and you know, emails. And on the client side, you know, for visual effects, clients rarely ever came to the office anyways. And we, we were so used to remotely working with the clients as it was. Um, you know, I've used the analogy that like, I, I don't think that we've run a, um, a, a rugged drive of, of shots to like Technicolor Light Iron Harbor in two years. Um, you know, everything's been Aspera and, and, you know, media shuttle deliveries anyways. So from the client perspective, it, not a lot has changed you know, um, other than, you know, I can no longer say like, hey, do you want to grab lunch next week or something? Um, so th that's what it's been for us. And, I, you know, I'm curious, you know, like uh, for Diana, I think like your, your job is a lot more, uh, a lot more dependent on, on, in, on people being at a physical location. I'd, I'd love to hear how that's changed. Um, so for, um, for me and, and for my team, it's a little bit different because as, at, you know, at, at Molecule, you guys are for the most part, a staff of folks. Um, you know, for me and the teams that I work with, we're a bunch of freelancers. So a lot of the time, you know, we don't all know each other. So we show up and, and there is this getting to know you part of the job, which is is obviously much easier in person. And, you know, fortunately, when I went remote, uh, my team had already been working in person for several months. So we, we didn't have to, you know, manufacture that social getting to know you period. Um, but what I found very helpful was, again, that over communication of every day we had, you know, a staff meeting, I had a, a, a Zoom room open so someone could pop into my office um, and, you know, tried to mirror the culture of working in an office and kind of that casual social, you know, we can jump in, we can have a discussion, we can work through a problem, you can, you know, jump out, we can pull other people in. Uh, casually and quickly. And I think that the formality that you feel with a Zoom, like you're arranging a meeting, um, there are, are sort of ways around that. And I think that's the closest way to approximate the office culture that you, you try and create um, when you can't be, you know, in the same place when we're all sort of all over the place. Um, and then for me, you know, it's, uh, you know, it is, it is doubling down on emails and tracking documents and, um, you know, the tools that, that a lot of us use, which, uh, you know, every, every post team, every post supervisor sort of has their own unique set of tools that they use. Sometimes they can be imperfect. So it just does require that extra effort of, um, you know, double checking and following up and making sure that everything is, is precise um, in a way that that's a little bit harder when you can't double check something with the person sitting next to you. That uh, kind of just pop in and out Zoom meeting that you have, do you have that up all day or is it just like for certain hours of the day? Um, I mean, I would, I would have it up, you know, when, when the workday started at nine o'clock and then I'd usually shut it down, you know, around six or seven and I'd, I'd sort of finish up my emails for the day because, um, you know, working from home, there is sort of, you can easily fall into the trap of, we're at home all the time. And, you know, especially during COVID, there's nowhere for any of us to go. So all the time is, is working time. So, you know, we did try to make an effort of setting work-life boundaries of, yes, I know you're home all the time, but people have, you know, kids and families and personal lives. And so, you know, we still tried to, to keep some semblance of a work day and not just assume everyone was on the clock all the time. Um, so my, you know, my office hours, my Zoom office sort of reflected that. Yeah, so I think there's there's some groups in, in my company, especially in the in the IT, on the, on the tech team side, um, where they'll just, there are different pockets that will have like a Google Hangout that um, to kind of like uh, make it uh, um, somewhat similar to being in the office and just being able to turn around and, and talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. So for seeing that it's quite feasible to do VFX in, in a remote setup and post-supervising, you, you can kind of adapt it remotely. One of the more difficult parts of post I would think to do remotely would be ADR. So to that end, we have a special guest star today, Dan Fink, who's been staying on, on top of the state of the art of how ADR has been scrambling to adapt to the, the kind of new normal. So, so Dan, 
How is yeah. ADR happening right now? Uh, so uh, interesting. For those of you guys that don't know me, I'm Dan Fink. I'm a Loop Group leader, coordinator, and I'm on the Education and Event Committee with all these guys. Um, sign up for committees. We need you. Um, uh, so ADR in general has morphed in a pretty large way through the course of all this um, into most people working remotely. Uh, like all the other departments, most of the studios and the producers right now, they have all the talent working from home. Um, and from what I understand, that will largely be how it is for the foreseeable future. Um, certainly for group work, that's a full field, um, a full field team sport with people running around, uh, you know, in, in a studio yelling and screaming and laughing and all having fun. And so over the time being, we're not allowed to do that. We're all benched and uh, everybody wants to avoid any kind of unnecessary risk uh, in that respect. But there have been breakthroughs since uh, the last time I actually updated people. I feel like I'm doing a man on the street kind of like, here's what's going on in ADR. Um, uh, at this point, all of the major facilities in New York and most of the medium-sized ones, all the sound houses, they have remote systems in place where uh, they can record both group and principals. Um, all remote, most of the talent connecting from their homes. And uh, for principals, there's these ADR kits that most of the studios have that are decked out and sent to the actors and they connect in via that way for group. Um, most are using a program called CleanFeed. There's other programs similar to it, but uh, most are on CleanFeed, which is a high-def audio platform that allows uh, all of us ho at home, basically you get sent an internet link and you click on that through a, a quick uh, series of keystrokes and that connects you, uh, your audio directly into the board at the studio. Um, and the session runs from that point a uh, picture comes through Zoom or another secure platform like that. And then from there on, it works like a standard ADR session. Um, uh, right now, pretty much like everyone here and in LA are working on platforms like this, same kind of process. And the nice thing is it's evolving almost week to week so that the quality just keeps inching up and getting better and better and better. And whereas picture used to be fairly degraded, now it, it, on a lot of systems, it's crystal clear. Um, and all of the, for the most part, all the ADR group actors have their own equipment at home. So they've got good setups, good mics, stuff like that. Um, uh, the other interesting that's, the thing that's happened recently is a couple of the studios have created essentially a hybrid version uh, of being in studio. So the, the actors are actually in studio, but each actor is separated into their own isolated room. So there's no contact with anybody else. It's the same as basically a series of solo ADR actors coming in to do their principal stuff. Um, uh, and then from their isolated room, uh, their line feeds down to the board on the main ADR stage. And uh, that's not technically remote, but it's a hybrid version and a big step forward since our last conversation about all this stuff. Um, obviously that's a good thing because being in studio gives you a very different depth of fidel uh, fidelity for that work, as opposed to having to go through the internet and all the fun stuff that happens as a result of uh, just being connected across the uh, across the city. Um, what else? Uh, the big thing there, by the way, is the COVID protocols. If you have anybody coming into a studio uh, for group stuff, that facility needs to be SAG approved for group work, not just for solo work. Um, there is a slightly different set of standards for that. Uh, that include ventilation, MERV filters, uh, air cycling, the space the actors will be in, um, how many people are going to be in the room, how it's going to be configured, staggering onboard times. And in some cases, it might include COVID testing, depending on how you're set up. So that's a really big thing to pay attention to because SAG is understandably being unrelenting about those things, but they're also being very approving of things once, you know, once everybody's met the standards. Um, and that's all determined on a project by project basis. Um, but there are facilities that are making both or all of those systems work. And New York is pumping it out. We're doing great. Um, and uh, all of those facilities, by the way, are company members. So if you have any questions, you can always just jump on the Post Alliance homepage and check them out. They're, uh, they're all there. And sign up for committees. We need you. Um, Has any? <laughs> Has any of this setup um, like impeded on the creative process of, 
of uh, recording this stuff? Like, like, how is the interaction between like director talent um, and have there been ways to overcome that? The, uh, the communication with everybody is pretty great, actually. Um, there is a slight latency, regardless of what platform you're working on. Um, but we've, you know, everything we've been working on, directors, producers, editors are all on, you know, usually on the session with us. And it's kind of like, it's, it's as close as you can get to have being in the same room together. And it very quickly morphs into everybody having a great time. Um, the technical limitations are overly projected things, yelling and screaming, stuff like that tend to, they tend to overwhelm the codec on the other side on, uh, on the clean feed program or, or the board, wherever it is. Um, Cause you're squeezing everything through in a little internet line, sending it across the city. It's winding up somewhere else or sometimes across the country. Um, and, uh, and so that's something we have to pay attention to. Like I said, the latency, doing things in sync, chanting, singing, anything like that has to be done one person at a time. Um, because of that microsecond or sometimes far more um, headache inducing thing that happens if somebody starts chanting and then somebody's just a half a second off. Um, but from a creative standpoint, I think everything's sitting right in, in a great pocket, very similar to what it always was. Um, uh, it, you know, there's technical glitches and stuff like that we got to look out for, but we just make sure we book some buffer time in. Um, somebody drops out and they refresh a page and they're back in. Um, uh, but this is, you know, by all accounts, this is how things are going to be probably through the, uh, until the summer. So, you know, like I said, we're all running around in a room screaming and laughing and having a great time usually, which is a great thing, but not a great thing right now. So. Um, Thank you, Dad. You got it. Thanks, everybody. Sign up for committees. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. That, that's terrific. And now Dan mentioned feeds going across the country. So working with people outside of New York, which, which was my next topic. So Andrew and Diana, you could now ostensibly work with clients outside New York or work with talent outside of New York. Andrew, you could work with artists from wherever. Diana, you could ostensibly um, post-supervise an LA-based show, correct? Um, yeah, I, I mean, so for for the Queen's Gambit, actually, the show was shot primarily in Berlin. Um, so we were sort of doing a hybrid of that before COVID hit anyway, where, you know, during the dailies process, most of the post team was working Berlin hours. So, you know, we were starting our days incredibly early and sort of ending in the afternoon at some point. Um, and, you know, our, our editor who, uh, you know, she was in New York was working with our showrunner who was on set in Berlin. So they were already doing some uh, secure remote editing sessions. Um, so there, there have definitely been bits and pieces of this, you know, remote post remote workflow world that existed before this, but now, you know, we're trying to put it together um, all at once. And, um, you know, creatively, it, it could potentially open up a lot of doors where, you know, we can, if we're a New York based show, we can work with an editor in Toronto, in LA, in London, in wherever, um, you know, same with mix, same with, um, you know, basically, basically anyone on the post staff and then, you know, post management from um, the, the point of view of a post producer, post supervisor, coordinator, or PA. I mean, for us, most of our job is, you know, tracking schedules and, and budgets and spreadsheets, but most of our job can be done anywhere there's an internet connection. Um, so I think it it gives you um, a wider array of resources, both technical and creative, uh, that you can expand your reach because, you know, a lot of creatives have um, particular, you know, editors and artists that they prefer to work with, but they're not necessarily geographically located in the same place as the production. Um, so, you know, flying someone in, housing them, it has, has quite a price tag attached to it. And if that was something um, that if that price tag could be removed and it's sort of find, find your creatives where you want to find them and, you know, location is no barrier as long as we can all work more or less the same hours that um, I think will, will pretty greatly change the creative options. Um, however, the, the flip side of that, and I can see Yana nodding along, is that that certainly has some major implications with the tax credit because when you're geographically limited, you know, that 
that makes the tax credit question pretty easy when you know I'm potentially pulling in staff from all over the country that that definitely messes with that equation. Right. Well, I mean, I guess if you have a studio who doesn't mind not getting 30% back on the editor labor, then you can pull the editor from anywhere you want. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, find me that studio, I guess would be the question. So, right. yeah, go ahead, Andrew. So, no, yeah, I was gonna say, like, like, for us, um, you know, it, it definitely has more to do with, with talent. Like, like I said earlier, you know, on the client side, we've been working, um, you know, remotely with clients for a long time. I mean, it's, it's actually sad. You know, I'll have two or three year long relationships with clients. I've never met them in person. You know, I know what their voice sounds like. I know how they write their, write their emails, but, but now with this, everyone's like used to hopping on video calls. So that's added, uh, um, you know, an extra, extra layer to it. That, that's nice. Um, you know, but for us, you know, what it has drastically changed is, um, you know, it, it, you know, before we, we have an office in LA too. And I just know all of the time and the years and money it took just to get that up to, um, you know, where it is now. And to think about doing that, taking that risk and time and energy in, you know, in another marketplace, you know, be it Toronto or Montreal, uh, I've just been like, no, there's no way we're doing that. You know, we don't have the money. We don't, you know, we can't do it. But now um, it's it's a lot easier to do it. It's, it's still not easy because you're still dealing with people and you're dealing with people in different cities. And naturally, like every city just has a different way of running than you're used to in your city. Um, but the the risk exposure is is far less than than what it what it was before, and and it makes um, makes the, uh, you know us be able to like tiptoe into other markets um, with a lower footprint than we would normally have to in in the, you know the old world of physical offices and you know you need a physical office you can't just have two people in a physical office because then it just feels sad and, and empty so you have to just go in with a full staff and and uh, but now you really don't have to do that. So your operational expenses considerably lower. Well, I would say like, I mean, for us operationally, it's not a lot different because in visual effects, your biggest expense is your payroll anyways. Um, you know, the, although we, you know, our office was expensive, it was just like tiny percentage wise compared to, to what we spend on payroll. Um, and we're, we're quickly replacing that with, you know, AWS costs and, and, uh, and those things. So, um, but but you know the the cost of entering a new market, meaning you're going to go in, it's not going to run right for the first year or two. It, it, it's not going to be as efficient as your your home base location. It's not going to be as busy as your home base location. So you end up floating new ventures for for a couple of years until they're they're off the ground. And and if you do that on the scale of well, we need to go in with a five thousand so square 5,000 square foot office and 10 people, it's a lot more expensive than, um, you know, two people working remotely from home. Now, Yana, with the idea of people working from home, we've heard of people who don't live in New York, they might live in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or Connecticut or something, and there's a problem with their labor may or may not count toward the tax credit. Can you explain that problem a little bit to us and what is the state's latest take on that? Yes. So when this began in March and commuter labor, as we call it, which is labor that commutes into an office in New York, but when we were all forced out of the state, if you lived out of state, so for example, I live in New Jersey, lots of folks live in Connecticut, some people even live in Pennsylvania, I would consider Pennsylvania a commuter state. Um, the question of how this was going to impact productions tax credit application was raised and the, uh, the film office was slow to produce any regulations around this and the Post Alliance asked politely, basically every week, there was obviously a lot of issues that the state was having to tackle. So we tried to be very um, delicate about the question, but it's a, it's a real question, right? I mean, 
this these tax credit estimates for productions were a certain number, people borrowed money on that number, <laughs> people needed to have that number. And now with labor substantially being forced out of New York, that was going to gut a lot of tax credit applications and worse in the issue with it with post only applications. So I think probably most of you on here know there's a few different ways to apply for a tax credit in New York. There's the production tax credit, and that tax credit includes whatever post you do in New York. Then there's the visual effects only tax credit, and then there's the post tax credit. But for each of these tax credit, you have to meet a 75% threshold of New York qualified spend. So the two issues we were having for the post only tax credit when this all happened is that when that amount of labor is forced out of the state, if the state decided to consider that labor bad spend, which it would in normal circumstances, um, if you have an editor working outside of New York, they're not their labor that cost not only doesn't qualify for the tax credit, it's also bad spend. In other words, it reduces your, your threshold that you're, you have to make in order to qualify for the credit. So the issue we were having in my company, at my company, Travana Post, where we um, submit a lot of these tax credits. So we had quite a stack of them. And what was staring us in the face is having to tell the producers, you've lost the entire tax credit because you now don't qualify for it because you haven't made the 75% threshold if the state was gonna decide that that labor was bad spent. And that's what the law says right now is that it's bad spent. So what we were lobbying them for is to have emergency COVID regulations so that they would consider the labor at least neutral spent. It's hard to get them to consider it good spend. In other words, give the tax credit on labor that's in New Jersey or Connecticut because when you're working outside of New York state, you're not paying New York state taxes. If your work state and your resident state are both outside of New York, you don't pay New York taxes. So it's hard to argue, but we should still get an incentive on that. Um, and they just have not produced the regs yet. So we've had to make the decision. We've deci we decided that they're, We've decided what they're going to decide the regs are, and we have submitted applications assuming that they will consider that label labor neutral spent. So you won't get the tax credit on it, but it won't um, negatively impact your threshold. So you won't lose your entire credit, but if you estimated you were gonna get a $100,000 credit and you borrowed money to finance your movie on $100,000 that you were gonna eventually pay back when you receive the credit, well, now you have to tell them your credit's gonna be like $50,000 because all this labor that you had estimated would be in New York is now gonna be outside of New York. So it's a real problem. And it's a, and it's a dilemma if this goes on much longer. You know, The real fear is that we have to imagine and do something about the fact that production could come to town and demand of the post supervisors that whoever you're hiring has to live in New York. That's that's a, the worst case scenario. So we're trying to work with the state to um, make sure that, that that doesn't become a reality. Long answer, sorry. Yeah, that is an interesting dilemma whereby technologically we can have these distributed teams now, but it does not behoove us to do so if it prevents us from qualifying for the tax credit. But on that topic of saving money via the tax credit, does remote work save money in some other ways? We touched on it for a sec with Andrew in terms of his operating budget isn't that much different because now he has to pay AWS expenses. But Diana, you could touch on how if an editor on a New York, let's take a New York based project, but the editor lives in LA and you don't have to travel him or her out to New York at a charge of 50. Yeah, for sure. So it's, um, you know, if you if you fly in someone from your staff that lives out of state, um, you know, they are they are now like a, an on location worker, basically. So you have to house them, you have to pay them a stipend um, on top of, you know, their the regular, you know, rate or salary. Um, and then for the rest of the staff, you know, even if if we are locals, 
um, you know, you're thinking about the fact that on, on an average show, so something that's, you know, eight to 12 months, something like that, um, you know, you're looking at probably somewhere between a quarter and a half million dollar of office rental costs. So if that office rental is now your home, that's a bunch of money that you're saving um, that, that you're not spending on, um, on, on office space anymore. And then subsequently, you know, you're not buying people lunch, you're not paying for cab fares home, you don't need to buy, um, you know, office supplies and staplers and paper for scripts and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and those costs do um, add up in the long run, um, where, you know, it's not, it, it may not completely offset what you would get in a tax credit, but, you know, a half million dollars in office space that you could potentially save is nothing to sneeze at. Um, and, you know, subsequently, because there is, there is that X factor that everyone talks about creatively being in the room with someone, I also envision a world where um, there's sort of a hybrid model where, you know, most of the staff is remote, but there is sort of a drop space for an editor and director to work together or a space to have weekly meetings or something where um, not everyone is remote all the time, but also, you know, the, the world of renting 15 rooms for 10 months is, is behind us possibly. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. That, that's a huge paradigm shift. Um, I'd like to shift gears now for a second and go to the topic of the post-PA. It's always been part of the mission of the PNYA to train up a workforce pipeline um, to make sure we actually have well-trained people to do all the work that's coming to the state. But we've heard of some productions trying to eliminate that position um, because up till now it's been kind of a physical position in the sense that they would run drives around or order the food, just all that logistical kind of stuff. Um, so I wonder if Yana first, could you remark on, on whether you've heard about productions trying to not have post PAs or, or what, what have you heard on that topic? No, I've heard the opposite. I mean, I've heard that post, uh, I've heard a group of post-production supervisors talking to finance executives to make sure that they do everything they can to keep them in the budget um, because, and keep them because there's still a lot to do that you can't put on your first assistant, you know, you can't put on your assistant editor. Um, but that, that not only are we trying to keep the post-PA position, but we're trying to add the apprentice editor position back into budgets that has been gone for a long time. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of work towards that. I mean, you'd have to talk to individual post supervisors to find out, you know, anecdotally if they've been, if they've been cut out of the budget, but no budget I've seen has cut out of post PA. And um, I, I think that they'll be kept. Diana, how has that role changed? Um, so, you know, the, the, Post-PA has always been uh, an entry-level position that, you know, does involve the sort of not glamorous work of ordering lunch and printing scripts and that sort of thing. And um, now it has basically just become the digital version of that. So it's a lot of FedExing things. It's a lot of, you know, downloading and organizing, um, you know, script schedules, call sheets in a digital format rather than in some sort of a physical binder. Uh, you know, there are, are tasks that I personally assign, you know, my PAs that um, whether we're remote or not doesn't necessarily matter. It's, you know, doing little, um, you know, research projects, doing some, some, you know, base research for me if I have a question about something in the show or, or how something works. Um, you know, I think that the post-PA is still uh, an essential position um, in the remote world, but I think some of the skills are different. You know, I think being, uh, you know, incredibly digitally literate, having Excel skills are more in demand now than when we were physically in person, you know, being literate on, on Macs and PCs, knowing your way around a Dropbox, being able to navigate, you know, a server or a filing system of some kind. Um, that's, you know, that's what what PAs are doing nowadays, but the I would say that the position is not able to be eliminated um, because there's just too much of that sort of catch-all um, work that that still needs to be done, albeit it's just it's just shifted a little bit. Yeah, and just adding to what Yana and Diana have mentioned, I mean, 
post PAs, I, I don't hire post PAs because I'm a visual effects company. But uh, you know, in, in recent conversations I've had with uh, uh, you know Chris Aruda, Dave Woods, and, and and others, you know, I think it's a general consensus that you know post PAs are needed now more <laughs> more more than than they were before. And you know, at first they maybe thought that you know, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll be able to do all the POs. I'll take them home with me and 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 do it myself. But but you know, quickly found out that. Uh, um, you know, that they're going to spend you so much time just, just figuring out how to communicate with all, every single piece of the team being remote and, and pulling that together that the, the, the post PA is kind of the glue that helps, helps allow that to happen. That's good to hear. Um, another topic, security. I've heard the studios and streamers don't love some of the security concerns around these just distributed teams. Um, but also maybe some of those con concerns are unfounded. Um, Andrew, how did you address security, data security in, in taking your company remote? Well, I mean, the first thing we did was talk to the networks, um, talk to the studios and, and just see, um, you know, actually a lot of them reached out to us. I know like I, I got a call from Amazon, I got a call from Netflix, you know, it was on Saturday right before the week, right before, you know, everything shut down. They were like, well, what's your plan? What are you doing? And we just reached out and talked to them first and just let them know, um, you know, we worked with, uh, you know, the AWS team, um, make sure everything, everything was secure in conjunction with uh, the TPN and let them know what we were, we were doing every step of the way. And, um, you know, eventually AWS actually had included us in, in several of the articles to, to kind of promote the system because they were impressed with uh, just how, how well it worked, how secure it was. Um, you know, and I, I think it's, it's just, you know, don't do anything in secret and, and talk to your clients and talk to, to any security um, auditor that, that you might have to you know, to meet up with someday to audit your system. And, and, you know, I'm in favor, I'm in favor of that with anything that we do. Like if there's ever a question, just, just reach out and talk to the, the people involved ahead of time. So you save yourself a bunch of headaches down the road. I mean, I think Diana, you, you had a good point on, on, on this topic actually the other day. Um, so, yeah. So, so when, when we were chatting, uh, before the panel the other day, I mean, my, uh, my point was sort of that now, you know, when we're in the facility, um, yes, things are, are on a server or on a nexus somewhere, which is ostensibly secure, but someone like me doesn't necessarily need access to the raw footage 95% of the time. And right now there is really no way to track if someone were to walk into your office when you know the, the team is at lunch, sit down at a productivity station that's left logged in, plug in a drive, download a bunch of stuff and walk out and you know post it, post it to YouTube or something like that. I mean, um, those little sorts of in-person security flaws are, are there and are sort of all over the place. And um, you know, I think it's just by convention that people don't access things that they shouldn't, but that doesn't mean that the security flaws aren't there. Um, I actually think that uh, a work from home, you know, remote situation is in a lot of ways more secure because uh, when you have a remote login to a server, for example, there's a limited number of people that have those seats and have access to it. Uh, and it's a lot harder to get your name on something uh, or to get your hands on something. And there is a trace of you, of your IP address logging in. Uh, and, and, you know, subsequently, as we sort of march toward cloud-based editing rather than, you know, on-prem servers, that will only become more secure and it will lend itself more towards, um, you know, remote work and remote editing. And, uh, you know, to be totally frank, you know, there's, I'm sure there have been plenty of, of situations that, um, you know, you've seen an editor take home a drive and say, oh, I'm just going to work on this this weekend, you know, little, little slips here and there where people say I'm just, and if it's in service to a project, you know, a lot of the times those things slide or you let happen, but those are, are very obvious security flaws. And if you can remove that risk, you know, as relatively low level as it might be, I think it makes every, it will make everyone feel more secure once you realize that there's a digital footprint to knowing who is accessing what and when, um, rather than 
having what is now kind of an antiquated attitude towards media and, and physical things. Great. So before we go into Q&A, I'd like to just ask everyone really quick, starting with Yana, in, in just a couple sentences, how much, how many of the changes and adaptations do you think that we've made in the past year? You know, there's a vaccine on the way, things are supposedly going back to normal by, by a certain point. How much of this new paradigm do you think will stick around? I think that there will probably be an increase in flexibility, but I think overwhelmingly people wanna be in offices together. I think you can probably downsize the size of your office, but I think, you know, for company cultures, people really do want to be together to train people. It's way easier and faster to be together in person. So I think companies with facilities that can will downsize, but I think like, you know, offline, you know, those facilities, people are, I really believe people are going to want to go back there. So I, I don't think that, the work from home model will stay as it is. I do believe that because we have been so effective in New York at adapting to the remote um, environment that companies can offer talent more flexibility than they used to. Like there's just no way you can tell someone you have to be at work from nine to five anymore, you know, five days a week. It's just not necessary. We've all turned in excellent work product, you know, working from home. So I think in as much as people want to be together to create, you know, a, a, a company culture and to, um, you know, for creative reasons, it's just, it's just easier to like be in the same room as the director, be in the same room as the editor. Um, so I think we will return to what it was. I just think that people can offer their talent more flexibility. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I agree with Diana on that. I mean, for us, the way that we look at it, I mean, we're going to stay remote for the majority, if not all, of 2021. Uh, you know, if we return to an office, there is a new an office in the plans in, in the future, but in my mind, it's 2022. Um, and in my head, I'm planning for 50% of our, like, it needs to house 50% of our staff. And I, I think it's going to be a mixture of people who always work from home, people who always want to work in the office, and a mixture of, of people who only want to work a couple days a week in both. Um, and so I think there's just going to be a lot of flexibility in um, where you work, hours you work, and, and, and all of that. You know, and I, I definitely think there's a lot of things um, about this that will stay. And outside of just like the, the physicality of it, um, there's a lot of processes that I've, I wish I had done earlier that this forced me to do. There's a lot of, you know, I think, you know, we could all all benefit from those moments in life where you have a moment to stop and and think and get woken up and like we all went through that at the same time which was like the, the one like good thing you can pull out of COVID is that like we all had a moment to just stop and reflect and 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 kind of retool things on how we were personally operating how we were operating as a company and there's a lot of things that have come out of that for us that that will remain and I'm I'm I you know kind of like why in the heck did we not do this before? <laughs> and what do you say, Diana? Um, I, I agree with a lot of uh, what Andrew and Yana said that I think the um, you know flexibility is definitely here to stay. Um, and I think that it will come down to creative versus cost. Uh, I think you know that's kind of going to be the big deciding battle in the future of how much remote work stays or doesn't. Um, I do think that that the one thing that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube is when it comes to work-life balance, because you know now people are home with with their families, with their kids for dinner, that kind of thing, which wasn't always something that could realistically happen with you know the hours that we would work in office before COVID. Um, so I do think that now that everyone's sort of had a, a taste of what that's like, that um, it's going to necessitate uh, a revisiting of of the work-life balance that we have in this industry. Terrific. So now is our time for Q&A. Looks like we have some, uh, some good questions. Rebecca, how are we looking? Hi, we have a lot of questions. Um, okay. Yeah, so we'll start with one. Um, it's, based, it's the same about remote work, but the idea, and I know that Andrew, you, you mentioned that 
workstations now that are needed at home just really need to have a good web for your, for your work. But Diana, for um, assistant editors or apprentice, how is that handled? Is that something that you have to hire freelancers that have their own setup? Or are you able to, um, is the company, the project able to pay for at home stations that they need? Um, it, it very much depends on, you know, the project, the studio, the production company, um, you know, there, there are smaller jobs that um, are more keen to hire assistants that have their own computers and systems and setups at home. Um, but there are also projects that although they're not renting office space from facilities, they are renting um, edit systems. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like it always was where they ship an Avid to you know, your, your house and it gets set up in, you know, on your kitchen table or in your office or whatever it is that you have. Um, so it's, it's a mix of both and it sort of depends on the um, scale and budget of your project. Awesome. Um, I have a question for Dan, if you're still around. It's about Loop Group and the fact that you guys have um, at-home setups right now, but there are some elements that are needed, uh, that you need space for outdoor spacious indoor uh, scenes. How is that handled? It's something that maybe the actor runs out to the street and finds a, a quiet spot that they can record, or is that no. just enhanced? No, no, no. Actually, every you know, we're, we're having to make do. That that's one of the compromises from a creative standpoint. Um, we are, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, most of the actors have fairly sound absorbed, if not soundproof, spaces that they've created in, in their apartments and their houses. Um, some are more proper studios, some are just kind of a corner that they made a fort blanket in. Um, and uh, that's, you know, basically we do the best we can. We get as close to the mic as possible so that you're just getting the voice, you know, the, the beam of the voice as opposed to hearing the room. And then it falls on the editor and mixer to work their magic and their, and their creativity to make it sound like we are outside. So we miss some physicality, that's for sure. Um, it's hard to sit at a desk and make it sound like you're loading things and stuff like that. But uh, I'm, uh, we all just feel blessed that we, we're still working, quite honestly. So, so that's added more work to the mixer and editor then? The, whole, the process? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the poor editors, especially when, this, when we went into full shutdown right, right away, uh, before we had the system where people were funneled into a board, Everybody was doing their own stuff in their own apartments or houses and sending in separate tracks. And the poor editors had to mix and match all of that stuff. And then the mixers had to make it sound like it all came from the same place. So no fun for them. Um, but, uh, but I gotta say, everybody we were working with stepped up for all that stuff. Everybody was so gung-ho to just make it work. And we were just thrilled that the industry didn't go, you know what, let's not worry about that particular category while this is all happening. So does that answer it? Yes, yes. Great. So that adds more work uh, to editorial, which actually also yeah. leads to another question for Andrew. Um, how do you deal with visual effects um, approvals? Is that something that you have to send to editorial, they have to drop in and that gets sent to the client or how is that approval process for you? First of all, where are you that you still have sunlight right now? It's like not oh. even five o'clock and it's pitch dark out here. I'm in Mexico and it's 4 p.m. over here. So <laughs> that's why. Um, approvals? I mean, for us, it's just, I mean, like I said, the, the process now is the same as the process has always been because um, everything's been remote. You know, we'll, we'll um, our deliverables are usually like we'll send a secure link um, that that'll uh, that they can just do a quick review on, but we'll send them um, avids, uh, you know, low res avids is the first step, and you know then they just drop and, and cut those in. The editor, assistant editor drops those in, and then uh, then it gets reviewed. Notes go back and forth, and then once everyone agrees, we, we send the bit the the big data dump through a uh, spare of the uh, the actual. Uh, uh, Raw rendered out uh, DPX or EXR sequences, but then they and that's all. That's like that used to all happen in within the space of one office, and now that's happening from people who are like three hundred miles away from each other coming together to like make all of that that happen. But but off the back of that, because that was my question, uh, how can you trust what they're looking at that on? I mean, do you know? You know, you you give them a nice high res image, but are they looking at it on a broadcast monitor or? How are they viewing that? I mean, that it, I don't, 
we're talking we're talking about the client here so like i would expect that you know i know specifically you know netflix makes sure at least for a lot of their shows that that the people who really need to be reviewing things especially after they had an incident on one show where they found out a producer was reviewing things on a bad monitor and they had to redo color for an entire season of something um that everyone has proper monitors at home while they're working remotely so that mistakes like that aren't made and work doesn't have to get redone so what what um the, the experience that i had is very similar to what andrew said where we receive editorial media we drop it in you know we check it out in addition to something like a shotgun link um but you know editorial media is not color corrected uh and so so neither are the visual effects and then once it's approved uh it, it'd be dropped in and it would be part of the um part of the di basically and uh the honestly um as as crazy making as it sounds ipad pros are the most color consistent screen really out there that are widely available because you can't ship everyone an x300 if you're if you're finishing a show in hdr um, but you can more or less realistically ship the five people that need to see it an ipad pro um for for color review and it it does get you pretty close have you ever Diana, have you ever found like since now we're talking about smaller screen, do things get missed because you're looking at it? So <laughs> um, it's, I mean, at, at that point, it's been scrutinized so closely. And, um, you know, for me, if I'm doing a, a confidence check or something, I will pop it up on my screen at home because there's, um, there aren't all that many, you know, issues that would be caused in editorial that would be missed just because it's not color corrected um like there's a handful of things here and there but it's watched so many times by so many sets of eyes um that you know by the time you get to the end of it you're pretty close and then you know what we did is we, we basically sent a, a strike team in of our you know post producer and showrunner into a color suite and they did you know a review of every episode um, but that was already, you know, after we'd reviewed it, what was probably hundreds of times at that point. And, you know, everything is so closely scrutinized, especially when you're hyper aware that you're not sitting in the same room, you're not looking at the same screen. Um, so everyone's like really, really staring at every single frame. And I, you know, I think it's, it's not ideal, but it's, it's pretty safe and it's pretty effective. And just la last question on that. Um, and then what about HDR? Um, so the, the iPad Pro is HDR capable. So you can do um, a pretty robust first pass review on the iPad Pro for HDR. Um, and then, you know, you do really need to see it on an X300 or a properly calibrated monitor, um, you know, if you want the, the, the full HDR experience. But, you know, you can get 90% of the way there with remote only tools. I have a question for Yana. Um, if my W-2 employees telecommute from a different state, do I need to switch them to 1099 or do I need to arrange for payroll accountants in each state? Neither, neither of those things. You, the employee just has to change their work state to their resident state. It's just a change on the W-4, that's it nothing else to do. You don't have to pay them as a 1099. They're not a 1099. You're telling them what to do. You're telling them when to do it. They're definitely your employee. So they're for sure W-2. And it's just a change in work state from what used to be New York to wherever it is that they live. But that does not require an accountant in their state. You can use your same account that you use for everything else. Um, does, that, does that answer the question? Um, and with that in mind also, um, do you think remote work where companies get talent from different states will continue to grow? This might be a question for everyone. After COVID, um, how do you think this will affect the job market? And is there a world where you see in the far future where there's a tax incentive for the US as a whole versus just for New York State? Can I take this? I read this, Amanda. Thank you for the question. I read it and I've been giving it a lot of thought since I, since I read it. So this would have to be a universe in which there are no tax credits, right? Because I am not gonna grab LA talent that I can't get a tax credit on that LA talent. So I'm in New York, I'm making my stuff here, but I really want this LA editor and the LA editor is gonna stay in LA. In post-production, you know, what you pay that editor is a lot of money. Like some, you know, depending on post, that could be like 
you know, $100,000. So you're not going to lose $30,000 because you can, I mean, because you can use the LA editor. I mean, that, that happens to today, right? We, we fly LA editors here and we pay to house them, which you don't get the tax credit on. We pay to travel them, which you don't get the tax credit on just to get the tax credit on their labor. So, um, and because they want to be with the director, you know, everybody kind of wants to be together. So I, I take your point and I think it's an interesting question, but don't think that post, the thing about New York is that this tax incentive has helped build businesses infrastructure. So people want to come here for post to, because they're loyal to the businesses. They, they want to use the business that they used on their last show. We have really a very high level of talent, a high level of speed and efficiency here. So I think that that will continue to hold us in good stead. Um, I don't think that the world that I believe you're describing here with a bloated job search, um, there is not enough talent in the world on the whole planet to do all the content that's being created right now. So I believe that the leverage is on the talent side. And the reason why New York tries to be so aggressive as aggressive as we possibly can be from a tax credit perspective is because we want the le the talent to remain, the, the leverage to remain with our talent. And we are in that position right now. So we don't want a federal tax incentive. We want a very strong state tax incentive, in my opinion. I hope that answers your question. I, I appreciate the thought that went into the question. Awesome. Great, um, I have one more, one more question. Um, Yasmin, um, actually I can answer that question. So it's, it's how are we, how are you networking? Um, something that PNYA has done is that we've created a lot of initiatives for networking. We have who you don't know networking for different departments uh, once a month for sound, music, visual effects. We also have face-to-face um, and I can send you that link with the password where you're able to set up a meeting with a, a professional of your choice. And, and if you're not really sure which, which direction you wanna go in, that's, that's an easier way to have that conversation. Um, but I can also go into more depth of that when, you know, if you'd like, just email me, I'll send you my email personally. Um, but I have one last question for Diana. Um, with not being physically in your, with your team in a facility, how do you efficiently share files and complete the reports that you normally would just walk next to the room, next room. Um, have you just changed the workflow or how, how's that process for you? Um, it's, it's um, a little bit of a, a pain point for me. I mean, it's, it's still certainly doable. Um, it has definitely required uh, very careful thinking about the way we, you know, track things and frankly, what we, what we track and what we keep tabs on um, because, you know, post management is a very data heavy position in that you want to know what's going on with every cut of every episode where we're at in the post schedule are we on budget are we you know on track to send this to this person at that time are we getting visual it's you know it's you're, you're the spoke in a whole communication wheel um and it has definitely been um, a, a little bit harder to do some of these things because a lot of the time it'll be with the person sitting next to you and you're sharing information and filling stuff out so um, there have been a couple of uh, weird Zoom calls where, I, you know, I've gotten my coordinator on a Zoom call and I just say, okay, we're going to pretend we're sitting next to each other and you have to, you know, like read me this information or go through this and I'm going to fill in this spreadsheet. Um, and it's, it's, you know, a little bit awkward and weird because you're both sitting at a computer looking at a document that, and that's something that would perhaps feel natural if you're sitting next to each other in an office, but it's very awkward on a Zoom call. Uh, even after you've been working with someone for a couple of months or a couple of years, um, and uh, you know, frankly, again, like I mentioned before, because every post supervisor sort of manages in their own way, so they have their own set of templates and spreadsheets and, and documents and, and way of doing things. Um, you know, it's it's a bit of a learning curve not only to adapt people to your way of post management, but then to then adapt them to your version of post management while you're remote. Um, so it's just it like it's it sort of made everything a little more complicated and just takes a little bit more time and effort um, to get it done. And it's not 
again, it's not, it's not undoable. It doesn't take, um, you know, it's, it's not like it's necessarily more error prone in any way. It just like you always have to be really attentive to that detail, to what you're putting in and, and double checking that everything is getting done. Does that answer the question? <laughs> that was fantastic. And thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Yana, Andrew, and Diana. Um, I think this was a great episode today. And that concludes the panel and Q&A.